This week on Myths and Legends, it's the conclusion of the story of Fionn McCall, a legendary Irish hero, and we'll meet the ultimate brain food, the salmon of knowledge, and see how a degree in the liberal arts might just make all your dreams come true, or lead to you wasting years of your life, bitterly muttering poetry by a river. One of those two things. The creature this time is a vicious crab monster, with razor-sharp claws, and strong opinions on your personal appearance. This is Myths and Legends, Episode 95B, Fionn the Human. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Today's episode is brought to you by the book Shroud of Eternity, from the acclaimed author Terry Goodkind, former Dark Sister, and formidable sorceress Nikki, returns in Shroud of Eternity, the sequel to the New York Times bestseller, Death's Mistress. Join Nikki and her companions as they're guided by a mysterious prophecy in a new quest to save the world. Don't miss Shroud of Eternity, book two of the Nikki Chronicles, available now wherever books are sold. Previously on the show, Fionn's father, the leader of the warrior band known as the Fianna, was killed by Gaul One-Eyed. Finn's mother gave birth to him days later, and he spent his childhood in hiding from Gaul's assassins. Through a bit of serendipity and a lot of murder, Finn met his uncle, who gave him a super magical, super dangerous weapon from his father. Finn learned that not all of his father's warriors had joined Gaul, who now led the Fianna, and he set out on a quest to find them. From one petty king, he learned that his mother had survived and remarried, and that she had remarried that petty king. Fionn had so many questions. His mother had gotten remarried, and where had she been for all this time? Was she in danger too? But the king cut Fionn off. Those were all great questions that he would never get to ask. Fionn had to leave immediately. The king said that he wasn't particularly astute, and if he could put it together that Fionn was the son of Kual, then others would too. It wouldn't be long before Gaul One-Eyed's men came looking. And this time they might not be so nice to Myrna. Fionn's heart nearly skipped a beat with the mention of his mother's name. He understood. He loved his mother, but if she knew he was here, she would never let him leave again. And every minute he stayed, he put them all in danger. He had to leave. Now he had a renewed purpose. He had to reunite the Fianna. He would avenge his father and finally be able to walk out in the open without worrying about a knife in his back. The king told Fionn that he needed to go into the deep forest. Fionn said he knew. He had spent his whole life in hiding. But the king interrupted him. It wasn't to hide. The Fianna, the warriors that his father led, most of them didn't join Gaul, but fled into the forest. They were living far off, in the deep woods, waiting for the day to rise up against the man who had killed their true leader. They are waiting for Fionn. They just didn't know it yet. The problem? The king didn't know where the Fianna were. Like he said, he wasn't particularly clever. If he knew, then Gaul would definitely know. But he knew who would have an idea. The man's name was Finnegus. He was a poet who lived in the forest not far from here. He was supposed to know everything. Everything. 
Jim pushed aside the trees when he heard humming and saw a middle-aged leprechaun-type man hunched over a walking stick and staring at the river. He had asked if he was Finnegus, the man who knew everything. The man gave him a brief, mm-hmm, not tearing his eyes away from the river, before adding that, well, actually, no, he didn't know everything, yet, but he soon would. Until then, he was just hanging out by a river, writing a poem in his mind, for seven years. Fian furrowed his brow, and looked at the stinking, intense man, who hadn't once looked up from the water. He asked if that was it, but this man had been working on the same poem for nearly a decade, didn't that seem like a colossal waste of time? The man said that this was the ancient world, so there were absolutely worse ways to go through life. Also, he would be here in case the salmon of knowledge came swimming on by. Fion cocked his head. Okay, kind of an obvious follow-up question, but what? Yeah, it's the salmon that contains all of human knowledge. You learn pretty much all you need to know about the thing from its name, the man said. He went back to watching the water. Fian told the man that the name wasn't what he was having trouble with. It was the salmon that contained the entirety of human knowledge. The old man rolled his eyes. Okay, sure, he could spell it out for Fian. So, there was a well in the hall of the fairy king, right? Everyone knows that. It's called Kanla's Well, the Well of Wisdom. Anyway, only the god Necton and his cupbearers are allowed near the well. Well? Huh? Finnegus, the little leprechaun guy, found a loophole, or heard about one. Around the well, there are hazelnut trees, and one day, nine hazelnuts dropped into the well at the same time. Somehow, a salmon ate one of those hazelnuts and gained all the knowledge of the world. Thus, the salmon of knowledge. Well, here's the great part, he said. There was a prophecy a few years back that I would be the one to catch the salmon of knowledge. So, I walked into the woods, found myself a nice stream, and I've had my eyes locked on the water for close to a decade. Oh, okay, Fian said. Cool. And then what? And then I catch the salmon of knowledge and get all the knowledge in the world, the poet spat back. Yeah, I know that was assumed, but then what? Fian asked. You have all the knowledge in the world. What are you going to do with it? Finnegas started to speak, but uh, that was a good question. You know when he would have the answer to that question? When he caught the salmon of knowledge, Fian shrugged. The man was wise, he supposed. Fian said that since he was the ordained future catcher of the salmon of knowledge, it didn't make any sense to try to hide it. Fian was the son of Kual, the former leader of the Fianna. He came to the poet Finnegas to find the location of the Fianna remnant, to lead an uprising against Gaul one-eyed, and reclaim his birthright as a leader of men. Finnegas shrugged, he said that he had spent the better part of a decade staring at a river, so those names meant almost nothing to him, but it all sounded very epic. Sure, he'd helped Fian out when he caught the salmon of knowledge. Until then, though, Fian could take a seat. Finnegus confided that he hoped it wasn't another seven years, but he had no way of knowing, I mean, without eating the salmon of knowledge. So, Fian sat, and days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, while he chatted with Finnegus, brought the man food, and stared intently at the river, waiting for the salmon of knowledge to swim past. He learned some poetry, probably workshopped Finnegus's poem, and decided that Finnegus, though absolutely not sane, wasn't completely crazy. He had thought this through, at least. Fian asked Finnegus why he didn't just go to the well of knowledge himself. The poet said that it was well guarded, and besides, 
who knows where the court of the fairy king is? Fionn asked why he didn't just get the hazelnuts himself and cut out the middle fish. Finnegus said that he would hunt down the hazelnuts, but only after he got the fish. I mean, try hunting down eight nuts on the entire island of Ireland. Besides, the prophecy said that Finnegus would catch the fish. So, he was going to catch the fish. If Fionn was going to get all antsy, he could leave. But Finnegus and his Wikipedia fish was Fionn's best shot at finding his dad's warrior buddies. So, that was up to him. Fionn sighed and rolled his eyes. He would stay. More days and weeks passed, with Fionn learning under the tutelage of the famous poet. One morning, Fionn returned after a hunt, dragging a deer carcass. He was surprised to find Finnegus not staring at the water, as he did every day from dawn until well after dusk, but building a fire. Furthermore, the man was downcast and sullen. Fionn asked what was going on, what was wrong. The man pointed at the basket and told Fionn to take a look inside. Fionn popped the lid off and saw the largest salmon he had ever seen. Fionn said that it was a salmon, but... Yep, Finnegus replied. It's the salmon? Fionn asked. The man nodded again. It was the smartest salmon to ever have been beaten to death by a walking stick. Yes. Fionn leaped in the air and rushed to do whatever the equivalent of an ancient Irish high five was, Finnegus didn't seem to have the level of enthusiasm one would expect from having nearly a decade of your life spent staring at a river actually pay off. Fionn told him that it was okay to freak out about this a little. He didn't have to play it cool. He was going to know everything. After which he would know what to do with the knowledge of everything, but anyway, this was a great day. Finnegus said that, yeah, he guessed it was. He asked if Fionn minded cleaning and cooking the fish for him. Finnegus needed to take a walk and sort through some things before the big meal. Tonight was the last night they would spend together, anyway. So at least Fian could do that for him. Fian said that it wasn't a problem. He was happy to know where the Fianna were. And it was exciting to spend this day with his teacher. Fian knew how to cook a fish. And he also knew when things were getting away from him a bit. He didn't like the way one part of the fish was bubbling up in the fire. So he jammed his thumb down on it a bit. Without really even thinking about it. He wrenched it away when the fish's oil started burning his finger and he thoughtlessly shoved the thumb in his mouth. From that little taste of the fish, he learned two things. One, the salmon of knowledge was delicious, and Finnegus was going to love it. And two, that he lived in a heliocentric solar system. That second thought was a bit of an odd one, but Fionn shrugged it off. Finnegus returned to the salmon cut into fillets, and on a stone plate, Fionn sat down, across from him, but Finnegus pushed it away. This was difficult enough. Fionn didn't need to make it any harder. Fionn was confused. Finnegus had the salmon. It was his reason for living. He was destined to eat it. What was going on? But the poet interrupted him. Finnegus said that he hadn't been honest with Fionn. He told a student that he had been destined to catch the salmon of knowledge. It had never been said that he would eat it. The poet told Fionn that he knew who the young man was the moment he walked up. Not because of the overly confusing political struggles, but because he had been told Fionn's name a long time ago. The prophecy was that Finnegus would catch the fish, but someone named Fionn would eat it. That was how it needed to be. Finnegus had hoped the prophet was wrong, but as soon as Fionn appeared to him by the river, he knew that the salmon would be by soon. It put up a fight this morning, but it practically flopped out of the river and landed right next to him. 
the prophet was right. Fian was meant to have it. Fian, of course, refused. They could accomplish what they needed if Finnegus ate the salmon. It didn't feel fair for Fian to swoop in in the last months of Finnegus's weight and just eat the fish. Finnegus laughed at him. No, it wasn't fair. But since when was fate fair? Finnegus didn't care what Fian said. He sat back. Fian was going to eat the salmon of knowledge, and Fingus was not going to eat the salmon of knowledge. Fian could fight against it, but that was the prophecy, and it was going to happen. And it did. The pair sat there for hours, with Fian refusing, and Finnegus saying that he didn't care that Fian was refusing. Fian was going to eat it anyway. And as the fly started to catch wind of the fish in the hot summer afternoon, Fian relented. I don't know what it's like having the entirety of human knowledge flood into your head via fish dinner, so I'm not even going to try my hand at that. We do know that Fian, though he was now supremely wise and knowledgeable, didn't change. He was still a kind young man who wanted to help the people around him. As he was finishing up, he looked Finnegus, his teacher, in the eyes and said that Finnegus was going to eat the salmon of knowledge. Finnegus, again, said that he was not going to eat that salmon. Drop it. Fian replied that he knew Finnegus wasn't going to eat this salmon, but this salmon was not the only one that had eaten the hazelnuts. There was another out there. Finnegus was going to eat him. Fian wasn't saying this as a consolation, but because he knew it. Finnegus would catch another salmon of knowledge and eat it, gaining all the knowledge in the world. The stories generally take a break after this exchange, so we don't really get to see Finnegus' reaction. But really, why did Fian have to tell him that? I get that it's supposed to be inspiring, that the guy's finally going to get the salmon and all that, but when? Finally freed from sitting by a river, Fian sent him right back to the river for an interminable amount of time. That being said, if Finnegus does have a skill set, it's sitting by a river and waiting for a salmon. And I guess he still does have that poem to finish, so I suppose it can't be all bad for him. Fian, for his part, now knew exactly where he needed to be. He wasn't going to the Fianna, not yet. He was going to Terra, the ancient city, and he was going to meet the High King. We'll see if this incredible about face pays off, but that will be right after this. They had weapons, but they would never use them. Not here. Fian passed a group of warriors, and they were singing, drinking, and laughing. These were warriors of the High King. These were people Fian would have avoided at all costs in years past. Now, he walked right past them. Even if they knew who he was, they would never attack him here. Each year, for the Feast of Samhain, every person of any level of noble birth came to the High King's court. At that time, it was decreed that no one would harm any other person, and that all would come together in peace for a feast with the king. No one broke that peace. Fian knew this. That night, at the feast, Fian strode in. It was a place where the king knew everyone's name. There was not an invitation, but you knew if you should be there, and knew if you shouldn't. Fian knew that he should be there. He walked right into the feast, as all the others were taking their seats. The king took his seat, 
right next to a man that Fian had never seen, yet one that he would recognize no matter what. He was a large man, with one eye. It was Gaul McMorna, the man who had killed his father. The king looked out in the assembly and smiled, but then he saw one young man standing when everyone else was sitting. The young man looked like he belonged here. He just had that look about him, but the king didn't recognize him. He turned to Gaul one-eyed, the leader of the Fianna, and asked who the young man was. Gaul narrowed his eye and inspected Fian. Something about that kid seemed familiar, but no, he didn't know who he was. The king stood, welcomed his guest, and asked who the young man was who didn't have a seat. Everyone had a seat. Fian said that he certainly deserved a seat at this feast. He was the son of a great man, a chief, a leader of warriors. He was Fian Makul, son of Kual, the murdered leader of the Fianna. Gaul's face became serious, but the king smiled. The king said that he knew his father. He had been a great man once. He had died like a great man, whatever disagreements they had. The king said that he was happy to see Fian was alive. And what was everyone waiting for? Will someone get this guy a seat? Gaul watched as Fian took a seat among the greatest in the kingdom. He had been hunting this kid for years. And now, when he finally showed his face, it was the one place Gaul couldn't do anything. Even he couldn't break the peace of this place. Fian had made himself known to the whole kingdom, gained the king's favor, and no doubt would disappear into the night before Gaul had a chance to catch up with him outside the city walls and end the nagging thorn in his side that had plagued him for years. It's unclear what role the Salmon of Knowledge plays in Fian's decision-making, whether he learned that night of a being called Aileen. As we've talked about in the Kelpie episode, the Feast of Samhain was a night when the barrier between our world and the fairy world or supernatural world broke down. The world of the Shi, the supernatural race of beings that lived in sort of a parallel world, is as complicated as our own. It's complicated because a lot of this mythology was written down by Christian monks, who likely tried to water down the whole god part. And so the beings in that world became kings, elves, fairies, kelpies, and more. Furthermore, it also contained the underworld. And in said underworld was a being that absolutely hated the king. It was named Aileen, and it was the grandson of the lord of the underworld. And it also shot all consuming fire from its face. It hated the high king so much that every year for nine years, it had visited the king's city on the hill of Terra, and every year, it tried to burn it to the ground, while the warriors could do nothing to stop it. It was while Fionn was seated at the feast that he learned that said feast had a very specific end time, because at midnight, the barrier between the worlds broke down, and no one could be out of the cellars then. They assured Fionn that it was the safest place in Terra. Magicians watched over and protected this building, and a few others, keeping it from being completely burned to the ground. It was just a matter of waiting it out. It happened every year. Fian couldn't believe what he was hearing. Here were the greatest warriors in the kingdom, all hiding from a monster. The people rolled their eyes. Every year there was one. And if he survived, next year, he would be warning the newcomers about Aileen. But yeah, Fian was welcome to try. There was no way he was going to survive. But if he did, and 
somehow managed to kill the thing, the king would give him anything that was in his power to give. Fian set down his drink and looked at the speaker. Anything? You know, I wondered what happened to you for years, only to have you appear here, tonight, Fian heard behind him as he walked outside the wall. I don't know if it was stupid or brilliant, but you're still alive, so I guess I'll go with brilliant. He turned and saw his uncle. It was Bodil's husband. He was standing in the entryway. He might have been in the city of the king, but he looked exactly like he did the last time Fian had seen him. Years ago, out in the swamp. Before Fian could ask what the man was doing here, he answered. He said that he used to come to this feast in the old days. He used to come with his brother, Kual. They both had a seat at the feast. Now, he came here once a year to remember. The nobles and warriors couldn't hurt him here if they wanted to, and they wanted to. And even though he didn't have a seat at the feast anymore, he would still walk the streets of the city and remember a better time. Tonight, on his way out of the city, he heard whispers that Fian McCool had returned and faced the king in Gaul one-eyed at the feast, and that the king had given him a seat. He had to come see for himself. He didn't find Fian before also learning that, though temporarily free from one danger, he had thrown himself to another. He was going to fight Aileen. Fian hefted his spear over his shoulder, the one his uncle had given him. Yep, that was the plan. His uncle corrected him. That wasn't a plan. That was one stated action. Fian didn't have a plan, right? And because of that, he was going to fail. Hard. The guy was a creature from the other world that shot fire from his face and put people to sleep. Fian knew about the sleep thing, right? Fian shook his head. That sounded important. It really, really was, the uncle replied. The reason no one faced Aileen was not for lack of trying, but because when he came each year, and whenever someone heard the music he played, they would instantly go to sleep. The first few years, it had been devastating for the city. The people slept while their homes burned around them. Now, they stayed underground, in the areas that were guarded by the wizards, and just waited to hear the song, knowing that when they awoke, they would need to, once again, drag the smoking remains of their lives from the ashes. The uncle said that he could help Fian figure out this little problem. Fian waited for the second half of that sentence, but it never came. Fian gave him a look that said, and? And the uncle would tell Fian how to stay awake. For a price. And he told Fian not to look at him like that. He had done worse things for money. Like murdering a boy's poetry troupe? Fian asked. The uncle said that the exact specifics really evaded him at the moment. You know what? Was Fian in or out? Because the uncle did not plan on fighting the thing and had about three minutes before he needed to be sprinting off into the night. So time was a factor here. Fian said that he didn't have much of a choice. The uncle just said that his price would be a third of all Fian earned for this, and a seat on his council. When Fian became the leader of the Fianna again, Fian agreed. He didn't really care about the money, and as terrible as his uncle was, he was one of the few people in this world that Fian knew he could trust. He agreed. The uncle told him that they didn't have much time. The spear he had given him, the one from his father, that was the key. He asked Fian if he remembered that he was never supposed to unwrap the spear point, or else he would die. Well, tonight, Fian needed to unwrap the spear point. It was full of extremely deadly poison. That felt like it was setting your whole body on fire. 
If Fionn was lucky, he would survive the horrific fire poison long enough to be killed by the horrific fire monster. The uncle laughed. He was only joking, of course. He now had a literal vested interest in Fionn surviving this night. Fionn looked at the spear, wondering aloud who his father was to even have a weapon like that. Where would he even get it? The uncle laughed. He got it, of course, when he took it from the monster that was attacking tonight. That was the sort of man Kual had been. Fionn was again awed to silence by the legend of his father. He took a deep breath. If he was going to get out from his father's shadow, it would have to start now. He smiled, putting on a show of bravado, and said tonight he would have to give the spear back to Aileen. The uncle guffawed. <laughs> that was the spirit. Now, if his nephew would please excuse him, it was time for him to flee in terror from the monster. He took a deep breath, screamed, and fled into the night. The city sleeping behind him, and his uncle screaming fading in front of him, Fian could only wait. Minutes later, from the city, he heard the shouts from the wizards behind the wall. It was midnight. Even though Fian knew things were different, that the barriers between the worlds were breaking down, it didn't feel any different. Then, he saw the fires. Out in the fields, a pillar of fire lit up the night. Then, the burning fields and forests took it from there, as it illuminated Aileen. Fian thought that he should have heard the screams from the people living out there. Their homes were being burned by a monster from the other world, but there was only silence. Then, Fian heard the song. It was the song he had been warned about, the song of Aileen. From the moment he heard it, it almost knocked him off his feet. He fought against it, but his eyes and limbs were heavy. His mind was playing tricks on him. If he just rested his eyes for a moment, but he fought against it. Every time he blinked, his eyes rolled back a little in his head. He reached behind him and felt the spear his uncle had given him, feeling the cloth wrapped around the tip. Already half asleep, Fian pulled the spear from his back and pulled the cloth off of it. He didn't have the ability to think of anything else other than what he had to do to stay awake. He touched the burning spear to his forehead. In some places, the spear is poisonous. In other places, it's a fire spear. The end result is always the same though. It was like falling asleep and then someone set your face on fire. You're up at that point. As the story says, Fian focused all of his senses on that sizzling, murderous pain. Fian screamed and snapped awake, but all he heard was the crackling of the countryside and the city starting to burn. Everyone else had been lulled to sleep by Aileen and there he was, Aileen looming above him. After nine years of this, the being was surprised to see anyone at all out of their dwelling, let alone awake and holding a weapon. The thing turned to Fionn, opened his mouth, and blue flames shot like lightning to Fionn to incinerate the young man so Aileen could continue his rampage. In that instance, Fionn didn't see Aileen, the otherworldly monster that was directing all his power to turn him to ash, but he saw Ferical, the warrior woman who helped raise him, he was back in his cabin, training, and he saw her bringing down her weapon. His arm shot up instinctively to block with the spear. And he did. The spear, since it belonged to Aileen, deflected the flame. And it snaked off in 26 different directions. But it didn't touch Fian. Fian stood and was almost as surprised to be alive as Aileen was. That his fire didn't incinerate something that it had touched. The creature from the fairy world raged. 
and Fian could see that he was gathering his power to send another bolt of fire down to Fian, but Fian didn't flinch. He stood and waited, while Aileen gathered all of his power, gave Fian a final glance, opened his mouth, and hit Fian with absolutely everything he had. Fian turned the spear point to face Aileen. As the fey creature took one final breath, if Fian had survived the last assault by accident, then he knew he would survive this one. Absolutely all the power the creature had blasted down at Fian, but the man didn't move. He stood there, spear trained on Aileen. The power that had destroyed countless lives and terrorized the king for years hit the spear, gathered into a twitching, writhing ball, and then compressed to nothing. When it was over, Aileen didn't see Fian's smoking ashes, but the young warrior, unscathed, both creatures stood there in silence, Aileen the fairy creature in disbelief that his power had no effect, and Fian the human, ready to have his turn in all of this. He expected the fire monster to gather his power for another assault. He didn't expect the creature to drop everything and run away as fast as he could. According to one of the stories I read, the fairy creatures can move in the blink of an eye in their world, but in our world, they're weighted down to the point where they can only move with near superhuman speed. So, Aileen was still confident in his ability to get back to the gateway to his world, and away from whatever monster Fian was. Unfortunately for him, Fian was near superhuman. Still, Aileen had a head start, and he didn't need to run forever. He just needed to make it to the gateway. Fian didn't slow, but he saw that he wasn't going to catch Aileen before the monster passed back into his world. Then, he remembered what he had said to his uncle, and smiled. He had grown up hunting with a spear, so it was nothing to stop, take aim, and let the weapon fly. Aileen was nearly to the gateway when he felt it. The spear caught him in the back, right between the shoulder blades, and the point exploded out of his chest. He dropped to the ground, mere feet from the gateway. Fian didn't catch up to him before clawing at the dirt. Aileen, the monster that terrorized the king and people for nearly a decade, died watching the gateway to his world close. It was dawn before Fian returned to Terra, dragging the massive head of Aileen. The city awoke and rose from the stone cellars that the wizards had been protecting, expecting to see the city once again in ruins, but they didn't. They saw Fian McCool standing triumphant with the head of the creature that had taken so much from them. Fian sat in silence across the table from the two most powerful men in the kingdom, the High King and Gaul McMorna, or Gaul One-Eyed, the man that hunted him since he was a baby. Fian hadn't asked anything of the king, not yet. Of course, he could ask anything of the king. That was the deal for defeating Aileen and freeing the king from the shame. Fian looked at the pair. They knew what he wanted. The king, not flinching in his gaze, said it was Fian's. Fian had proved himself as a champion and would take his rightful place as the leader of the Fianna. The king turned to Gaul and gave the man two options. Leave Ireland forever or serve Fian as part of the Fianna. Regardless, Gaul would stop hunting the man. Fian now served the High King, and any attack on Fian would be considered an attack on the king. Fian only knew Gaul from reputation, 
and that was mainly from people who hated him and whose lives were in danger because of him. It would be difficult for anyone to swallow their pride and shake the hand of the kid who you had hunted since birth. But that's exactly what Gaul did. Fian had destroyed the monster when everyone else couldn't. When he couldn't. He stood and shook Fian's hand. He congratulated his new leader. This was the path that Fian had worked out the moment he ate the Salmon of Knowledge. The one that didn't involve him forcing the Fianna to ride against their former comrades. The one that didn't have him going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the only man who could kill his father. This was the path where Gaul, the enemy who had shaped him into the man he was, would be a friend who followed him and fought for him, for now at least. The king was stronger, Fionn was stronger, and Ireland was stronger without the political bickering and feuding that had nearly destroyed them all. Fionn thanked the men and rose from the table. He announced that he was leaving. Somewhere, out in the vast wilderness of ancient Ireland, was the remnant of the Fianna. He would find them and bring everyone back together, healing the rift that had happened all those years ago, the rift that his father had created. The king and Gaul watched Fionn ride out, alone again, but at the start of a new life, a new story, his story. I really liked how this chapter of the story ended. I was absolutely expecting a big showdown with Gaul, but I like how the story subverted my expectations and totally surprised me, which at this point in the podcast, almost three years in, is really cool. I like how Fian's story and his relationship with his father's legacy isn't carrying on the destruction from the previous generation, but his way of stepping out of his father's shadow is to heal the rifts, to not launch right into vengeance and destruction against his fellow man, but to fight evil and bring people together. There's a lot more to Fian's story, and we will get there in time, but this is a really good start. Next week is something else. I'm not sure. I worked on this before the break, so next week will be a mystery even to me. I want to say thanks to LMAC123, Jill Baggins, maybe related to Frodo, not sure, British Columbia Girl, Alexa27, Oz Harves, Ballin' Babe, Zen Peas, Persephone's Pomegranates, John Dunder, Sixa1023, Dan Francisco83, Arliz N, Pstar1975, Desdemona63, Victoria the Reader, Labcat, and Moderate Rock for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much. It's really great to hear from you and read the funny names. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There is also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a light bulb shaped stress ball, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad free versions of the show that will not shatter and slice open your hand if you get it confused with a real light bulb. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Kamakiri from Japanese folklore. If you're listening to this at night, the Kamakiri might already be in your house. The creature slides in through open windows or doors left ajar for only an instant. It has the body of an insect with a hard, impenetrable exoskeleton and scorpion-like, razor-sharp claws. It's as quiet as it is capable and you won't know the Kamakiri is near until it strikes. It's black, insect eyes watching from the darkness. It might be when you get up to go to the bathroom at night and don't hear its near imperceptible skittering of legs crawling across your ceiling. Or maybe you're making your way home 
and don't see a shadow sliding from tree to tree and then follow you down that deserted street. It's indiscriminate with its victims, striking women and men, rich and poor, aristocrats and commoners alike. It'll wait for you to be alone, descend from above, and strike with its claws. You won't even know until it's too late. After the deed is done, the Kamakiri will disappear back into the night, having claimed another victim's hair. Yeah, for all of its stealth and creepiness, it just really likes to drop down and give bad haircuts, and then escape back into the night. It might not seem like a big deal, and it's absolutely better than death by tickle fight, but in medieval Japan, long hair for women was a big, big deal. So this creature's attacks could be devastating. Now it's annoying, but not the worst thing that can happen. Even by a Japanese mythological creature. I mean, remember the lightning anusai guy? The Kamakiri might actually be looking out for you too, especially if you're about to get married. He's seen way too many friends get into bad marriages. And there are some Japanese mythological creatures that can shapeshift and turn into humans. The Kamakiri has some strong opinions on the ability of marriages between humans and supernatural creatures to work out. So, if you've been thinking your fiancé might actually be a supernatural fox, but not the good kind, and some creepy little scorpion guy drops in for a haircut, you might want to put some more thought into those upcoming nuptials. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Chris Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>